Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, Sean did an outstanding job as he launched our Judges series, What is Right in Our Sight. Uh, For those of you that haven't had the opportunity to listen to that, I really encourage you to do so because he answered some of the deeper philosophical questions that we have when we look at the Old Testament. He gave an excellent foundation in terms of the history of uh, where Israel has come from, out of the book of Joshua, into the book of Judges, from a place of serious celebration and victory as they are walking into the promised land, to now a place where everyone is doing what is right in their sight. We see in Judges, and we'll see it continuously, we see the cycle of sin, judgment, repentance, deliverance, revival, Sin, judgment, uh, repentance, deliverance, revival, sin, and so on and so on. And we look at this and we think to ourselves, how could these people be so stupid? Um, And then the Spirit of God makes us look internally at ourselves. Karen and I saw this ad uh, on the TV, and we want one of these things. Those of you that watch football, the seven of you in this room, um, (laughs) will know what a red... challenge flag is, and, um, and, and the challenge is that it's not just Israel that forgets things, we forget things too. So let's, uh, let's show this, this video. Uh, life jackets. Well, you said you packed them. No, you packed them. No, you packed them. You said I won't forget to pack I the life jackets. I won't forget to pack the life jackets. I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to challenge that. Well, you do have one left, so... This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. You know, my favorite part was when you said, obviously, I won't forget to bring the life jackets. (laughs) So the minute we see that, both of us at the same time say, I want one of those things, because both of us think we are the ones that said that, right? Memory is a complicated thing. And we see in Judges 3, verse 7, Israel is consistently forgetful. In Judges 3, verse 7, the Israelites did things that the law saw as evil, and they forgot the Lord their God. They served Baals and Asherahs. And and Baal was a god that the Canaanites served, and the reason that you sacrificed, and you, you didn't just sacrifice goats and sheep, sometimes you sacrificed your children, literally your children, for appeasement and protection. Asherah was a god, and it was an Asherah pole, and you would have public sex with a priestess or a priest in order to produce fruitfulness in harvest. And so these are pretty dark things that the Israelites are giving themselves to. And, and we look at that, and we say, oh, well, that's, we've kind of grown up, but we, we, we certainly wouldn't do those things. I mean, I look at your faces, I say some of those things, but... We, we dismiss these things, and yet we don't look at the things that we worship as altars, our own individualism, our own consumerism, our own pleasure. And the challenge is when we forget what God has done, we forget who we are. When we forget who we are, we shake off any kind of boundary that God has placed in our lives for our own good. We don't just forget who God is. We don't just forget our rescue, we also misremember our captivity. 
And those of you that will under, they know the history of Israel, um, when Moses was taking the Israelites out, the Israelites would say, oh, I just want to go back to Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt, and they want to go back to Egypt. Oh, for the leeks and cucumbers of Egypt. And when we forget what God has done, when we forget who we are, we also forget the level of captivity that Jesus has rescued us out of. Because we see these boundaries and constraints as not allowing us to be fully human. But what God has done is said, this is what a people of God look like. This is how a people of God behave. And this is what is best for your flourishing. I've literally sat with men and women who have an absolute, complete um, departure from reality when they retell a story because of their pain and their stubbornness and their sin. I remember sitting with Heather McLeod, Heather saying to me, am I going crazy? Because I don't remember this actually happening to this person. And I'm like, no, you're not. This never actually happened to this person. And so not only do we forget God's faithfulness, but we start to reorder our own memories in a way that is absolutely destructive to our souls. Consistently throughout Scripture, the word forgetting is connected with sin, and the word remembering is connected with worship. So what we do on a Sunday morning is we are remembering the goodness and kindness and faithfulness of God. We do it by gathering, simply being together with the called out ones of Jesus. We do it by singing. Uh, in, in the sense of remembering who God is. We, we do it by sitting under the Word of God. We do it by participating in communion. In Psalm 103, David says, Let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless His holy name. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all His good deeds. How God forgives all your sins, heals all your sicknesses, saves your life from the pits, crowns you with faithful love and compassion, and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like the eagles. Forgetting leads to doing what is right in our own sight. There is a, a, an old British saying uh, that an old man said to a young man as, as he was uh, doing something wrong, and he said, young man, you forget yourself. And so the, this young guy is acting in a way that is inappropriate, and the older mentor is saying to him, young man, you f you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting who I am. And that's part of the challenge as we look at this portion of Judges. The other thing that we need to come to terms with as we look consistently through the book of Judges is that God's discipline is designed to help us remember. Sometimes we need that little bit of a jostle. It's designed to help us remember. Judges 3, verses 12, says, The Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil, and the Lord put Moab's king Eglon in power over them, because they, they did these things that the Lord saw as evil. He convinced the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, and they defeated Israel, and they took possession of Palm City. Now, I want to break there, because you, when, you, when you look at this, you, you might think, who cares about Palm City? Palm City was what the um, Israelites had renamed Jericho. Because Jericho was an evil city, and Joshua said Jericho will never be rebuilt. And so there were ruins of the city, and there were palm trees that had grown up there. And Palm City was the place that the Israelites looked at as an amazing victory of God. 
This was the place where God won a victory. This was the place where Joshua and the rest of Israel kind of blew their trumpets and played ring ring a rosies around Jericho for seven times. And God brought the walls of Jericho down. And now here we are, maybe a century later, and it's at this place where God won a great victory for them that they are captive to the Amalekites and to the Moabites. Obedience leads to victory. Disobedience leads to captivity. That is the consistent theme of judges. That is the consistent theme of our lives. Verse 14, so the Israelites served Moab's king Eglon for 18 years. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, so the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, Gera's son, a Benjamite who was left-handed, or some translations say unable to use his right hand. The Israelites sent him to take their tribute payment to Moab, uh, to Moab's King Eglon. A tribute is a humiliating thing. For those of you that don't know uh, what tribute means in history, it means that you are now governed um, by a, a power that is not friendly to you, uh, But what they're saying is, if you every month, or I don't know how often, but if you often bring tribute, in other words, if you bring your wheat, and you bring your olive harvest, and you bring your goats, and those kinds of things, and you bring them to me, uh, then I will let you live. Then I will let you thrive. And so every so often, the Israelites are forced into this humiliating tribute, where they have to bring their stuff to a king that is taking it for themselves. And so now, this is where the story gets weird, okay? As if it wasn't weird enough, right? So now we look at this guy, and it says, so... Oh, let me say this, sorry. One of the things that God uses, not only in our captivity, is the humiliation of tribute. And one of the things that he uses is this place of actually thinking to ourselves, how did I end up here? How did I end up to actually being being someone that God said, I would send you into this land, you would have victory over your enemies, Uh, they would never again oppress you to now actually bringing my stuff to my enemy. There's a story in the New Testament that's very similar to this with the prodigal son. Now the father never made the prodigal son go to the pigsty. It was the series of decisions in the son's life that led him to the pigsty. It was that place of captivity and humiliation that made him do what? Remember what his father's house was like. It was that place of humility and and, uh, captivity where he's like, "I, I can't believe I'm literally sitting in pig filth thinking about wanting to eat what the pigs can eat. I'm going to go back to my father. It was enough for him to turn around and actually say, man, this this humiliation, this captivity has reminded me who my dad is. And we know the story. He went back to his dad. His dad ran out to him. And it doesn't matter what captivity you're in or what humiliation you're in, there is always a father waiting to see you walk down that that, that road and run to you. Now what happens? In verse 16, it says, Now Ehud made for himself a double-edged sword that was about a foot and a half long. It's about this size. 
and he strapped it on his right thigh under his clothes, and this is much easier when men wear dresses, okay, so it's, it's much easier to cover a sword that is strapped to your thigh. And when he presented the tribute payment to Moab's King Eglon, who was a very fat man, when he had finished delivering the tribute payment, Ehud sent on their way the people who carried it. But he himself turned back at the carved stones near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, king. So Eglon said, hush, and all his attendants went out of his presence. Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in his cool second-story room, and he said, I have a message from God for you. At that, Eglon got up from his throne. Ehud reached with his left hand, grabbed the sword from his right thigh, and stabbed it into Eglon's stomach. And even the handle went in after the blade. You guys watching Rings of Power? This has got that vibe, right? That, this is like the original Game of Thrones. So I've never watched Game of Thrones, just saying. I'm assuming that this is what that would be like. Even the handle went in after the blade. Since he did not pull the sword out of his stomach, the fat closed over the blade. This is a big guy. And his guts spilt out. The ESV said, and dung came out. Okay. Right? Ehud slipped out of the porch and closed and locked the doors behind him in the second story. And he slipped out. The king's servants came and found that the room's doors were locked. So they thought the king must be relieving himself in the cool chamber. They waited so long that they were embarrassed but he never opened the doors for them. Then they used the key to open them, and there was their master lying on the ground. How are you going to make sense of this? Well, here I go. Okay. <laughs> the judge before Ehud was called Othniel. Now, Othniel had a military pedigree. Othniel was Caleb's grandson. Now, that is a major flex if you are Caleb's grandson. Caleb was one of the very few Israelites that made it from the wandering into the promised land. As an old man, Caleb said, I want the high ground, went and took it. So if you are in any way related to him, people are like, yeah, we'll follow that guy. Ehud did not have this pedigree. Plus, he's left-handed. Now, what's the big deal with that, Nick? Why does that matter? Uh, these days, being left-handed is an advantage. I remember when Kiona started playing water polo, and she was left-handed, and the coach was so excited about her being on his team because it's an advantage. Many of you will know, in terms of sport, if you're a southpaw, it's an advantage. Not in those days. In those days, it was seen as kind of a judgment. Commentators also say that he was probably lame or deformed in his right hand. And we don't know exactly what happened, but this is important because it was his disqualification that qualified him to do this. It was the fact that no one saw him as a threat. No one thought he was going to be able to do anything because generally speaking, people carried their swords on their left side so that they could grab it with their right hand. And so they don't see a sword, they see a deformed right hand, and they see a man that's like, okay, send everyone out, that's fine, I don't care. I feel safe around this guy. And that's in the moment where he picks up that sword and stabs Ehud. Now, what about the detail that the dung came out? So this is important because um, what did his servants think was happening? They thought he went to the bathroom, right? So I'm, uh, what I'm saying is the detail is necessary. It helps us understand how Ehud got away. Because the servants are there, they're like, hey, hello, are you busy in there? Whew, okay, sounds like you're smells like you're busy in there, so we'll come back another time. I know, Val is cringing in the front here. 
She's like, could you move on? I will move on. The problem is we underestimate ourselves when it comes to being used by God. When you think about what about you, your past, your skills or lack of skills, your education, your race, your physical makeup, what about you believes, do you believe that disqualifies you to be used by God? Um, when Kara and I were dating, um, one of the things that we talked a lot about was the fact that I felt that I had been called to ministry and that I wanted to partner with my wife in ministry. And uh, Karen had a fear of public speaking. Now, those of you that have heard Karen preach will be like, what? But let me tell you about the first time Karen got up in front of a microphone. Uh, Lloyd gave her the microphone because she felt like she had something to share. She was going to pray. She started to speak, and her throat closed in. She literally had a panic attack. She started crying and was just doing this. We didn't recognize what was happening. We just thought she was being a little dramatic. You know, as Karen can be, just super dramatic. One of the things that Karen consistently prayed was she knew that God had called her, not only with her life, but also with her voice, to declare the greatness of him who had called her out of darkness into light. And so one of the things that she refused to do was believe that she was disqualified from that. We are the beneficiaries of that. Now the challenge is, how many Ehuds are in this room that feel disqualified by culture, that feel disqualified by their past, that feel disqualified because we look at people that are super gifted and we say, no way. There are many of us, and Paul tells the Corinthian church, now understand this, those of you that, that, that know the New Testament will know what a mess the Corinthian church was. Paul starts his letter to the Corinthian church by saying, I am proud of you. And then he talks about the God of comfort, and then he tells them this. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many were wise, not many powerful, not many were from the upper class, but God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong, and God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. It is because of God, and this is the key, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. This means that He made us righteous and holy and delivered us. So Paul is not saying have a better self-image. Paul is saying even though you were not wise, even though you were not powerful. And he, he doesn't say none of you. He says not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many from the upper class. He's like, that is not the seat of your authority. That is not the reason that you can step in with faith. The reason you can step in with faith is because he made us righteous. He made us holy. He delivered us. He poured his spirit into us, and he enables us to do what he's called us to do in the world. This is consistent with what was written that the one who brags, brag in the Lord. Or the one who brags should brag in the Lord. Problem is we try to be wise and powerful in our own strength rather than boasting in the strength of the Lord. When we look at Ehud's story, he reminds them of a number of things. 
In verse 26, when Ehud had gotten away, verse 27, it says, When he arrived, he blew the ram's horn in Ephraim, in the Ephraim highlands. So the Israelites went down from the highlands with Ehud leading them. He told them, follow me. Why? For the Lord has handed over your enemies to the Moabites. So they followed him, and they took control of the crossing points of the Jordan in the direction of Moab, allowing no one to cross. This time, they defeated the Moabites, about 10,000 big and strong men, and no one escaped. Moab was brought down by the power of Israel on that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. What did he do? He reminded them of who God is and who they are. When we brag about what God has done, we are also reminding people within the context of our community about who they are. Ehud says, follow me. There's a boldness in him knowing that God has called him to do this. Why? Because for the Lord has done this. Now, this is a little tricky. This idea of being real and humble, not falsely humble. How many of you guys remember Terry Virgo? It's like in his 80s, he came and he preached here. He's a British guy. He's been in ministry longer than I've been alive, literally. Longer than most of you have been alive. And, um, and so he says, I get so frustrated with all this false humility. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? It's like I'll go up to someone and I'll say, thank you for serving us so well with preaching or, or, or with, uh, with worship. And, and they said, oh, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And then he said, well, who played the wrong note? Was it you or the Lord, you know? <laughs> I love it when a guy like that just comes, zings back straight at you. And what he's saying is there is a combination in which the gifts that God has given us mix with who God has created us to be. And we can actually say, when we receive a compliment, thank you, it is because of God's gift in me, but to be able to accept that. We're not talking about being falsely humble, but we're actually able to say to others, God has done something in my life. Not because of me, but because of His great power and His authority. And in this, and, and let me help you understand what He's done, because this can help you on your journey. We need to blow the ram's horn for those who don't know what God has done. For unbelievers that are still stuck in Egypt, that are being ruled by sin and shame and guilt and don't know that there is a deliverer wanting to deliver them. People who still need to place their faith in Jesus. People that still need to experience forgiveness, healing, and adoption. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how humiliating it is. It doesn't matter how deep you are in the pigsty. There is always a way back home. Always. Not because we can drag ourselves out of the pigsty, but as Peter tells us, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. So if we're going to be like Ehud, one of the things we need to do is blow the ram's horn so that people that have not heard of the saving grace of Jesus can actually step into that. We also need to blow the ram's horn so that believers that have forgotten who God is and what he is capable of doing and who God has made them that we can remind them about what God wants to do in them and through them. We're going through gospel identities in our life groups. Part of the reason that we're doing that is not because it is peripheral to understand who we are in God. It is central. We function out of our identities. If we believe that we are orphans, we will function like orphans. If we believe that we are sons and daughters, we will function like sons and daughters. But part of the reason that we need to consistently remember these things is so that they can become automatic. 
Khan reminded me that when I was learning to skydive, they drilled this into us. They made us shout it for the whole two days. When you jump out of the plane, when you release your parachute, this is what you say. Canopy, lines, slider, rotation. I still remember it. I don't even need to think about it. Why? You check. Is the canopy open? Are my lines twisted? Has the slider come down, and am I rotating? And the, and the thing that it teaches you to do is, oh shoot, the canopy has not opened. My lines are twisted. What I need to do is shift them around to untwist them. Okay, I'm rotating. I need to adjust. One of the things that we need to do is remind each other of who we are. You are a son and daughter of the living God. You are forgiven by grace and faith alone. You are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The Spirit of God lives in you, enabling you to cry out, Abba, Father. You are no longer an orphan. You are filled with the power of God, enabling you to say no to ungodliness. You are also used as a kingdom bringer. Those are the things that we need to remind ourselves. Canopy, line, slider, rotation. When, when the world throws something at you, I'm a son and daughter of the living God. I'm filled with the Spirit. I am forgiven. I'm able to stand there knowing that it's because of what God has done that I'm able to deal with the fact that I'm spinning towards the earth. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 continues when Peter says to them, everything has been given to you. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith and to moral excellence knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control endurance and to endurance godliness and to godliness affection for others and to affection for others love. If all these are yours and are growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Whoever lacks these things is short-sighted and blind, forgetting, forgetting that they were cleansed from their sin. Now, I know, as I read that, some of you are like, oh, man, what does it add this to that? And what, what is next? Self-control and endurance. And how do I do this? Do I start with faith? And then do I? Let me say this. You have these things. This is what Peter said. Everything has been given to you. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. This is not about a sense of earning this. This is a sense of saying, and add it to my life. God has made it available. God has given you a robe of righteousness. Put it on. It's that is what Peter is saying. And we, we understand, and we've said this before multiple times, that the gospel is not against effort. It is against earning. Dallas Willard says that all the time. Well, I say that all the time about him. He probably just said it once, okay? <laughs> it is not about earning. It is about effort. And a spirit-empowered effort will enable us to live in a way that we will not forget that we were cleansed from our past sin. Band, you can come up. Now, the interesting thing about Ehud is he was a deliverer that was unexpected and flawed. Flawed. Right? You understand flawed? F-L-A-W-E-D? Okay. So our deliverer, Jesus, was unexpected but not flawed. I mean, really unexpected. When we think of how he was conceived in an unexpected way. Conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. When we think about how he was born, he was born in a manger, in an unexpected way. When we think of his unexpected life, the power, the authority, 
the wisdom, when we think about the unexpected way he loved men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, Roman, Greek, Jew, when we think about that, we think about the unexpected way that he gave his life for us. The unexpected way that he went like a lamb to the slaughter. When we think about the unexpected way that he was raised from the dead. When we think about the unexpected way that he just left. Ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. But flooded us with the Spirit of God so that we could unexpectedly become the church of the living God. He will unexpectedly return. And he, when he unexpectedly returns, he will get praise from everyone. Not just from the church, but everyone. Because when he unexpectedly returns, Scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that in difficult and even weird passages, the clarity of Jesus comes through. I want to thank you that we are a flawed people, and yet you take delight in using us. You take delight in using us because as you use a flawed people, it is your glory and your honor that is elevated. Father, I want to pray for men and women that are here that need to hear the ram's horn of just the initial place of saying, I am in my own pigsty. I am surrounded. I am captured. I need to come home. I want to pray for those men and women that are in a place feeling disqualified knowing that you've called them to do something, but have every excuse. God, I want to pray by the grace of your Spirit that you would remind us that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And that by your Spirit, we would be a people that are able to revel in your mercy, that proclaim your mercy, that demonstrate your mercy to a world that so desperately needs it. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Um, we're going to respond in, uh, in communion, but um, before we do, Lyle, I want to invite you up here. And um, Lyle uh, had something that he said that he was sensing from the beginning of the, 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 the gathering this morning, and I'd love for him to share it. Um, so from the beginning of, of the our time here today, I was kind of getting this idea that there are maybe some people here that maybe have like a small voice, um, and that's out of, out of fear or condemnation, or maybe that their voice is strained, um, that they've been crying out and shouting out for so long that they're just tired. And if you feel that you have that small voice, just a reminder that there is um, no condemnation in Jesus and that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. And if you are feeling like your voice is strained, let us be that voice for you now. Very good. Thanks, Lyle. Uh, Lyle, we want you to join the guys over there that are available for prayer. If that connected with you, you have a sense that um, 
if you have a sense that you, you um, need prayer, um, that you have kind of a, a, a small voice or your, your voice is strained and you just feel like you've kind of come around the mountain over and over again, maybe on the same kind of habitual sin, there's something you're struggling with, receive prayer, re- re- respond, uh, respond to that. I just wanted to reiterate something that, uh, that Nick shared. It's like if you're feeling extra left-handed, <laughs> um, the Son of God, the Son of God, the, the, the right hand of God, the one that has ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, has, has moved you into a different category. <laughs> uh, from left-handed to right-handed. Um, from disqualified to qualified in Christ. And if you're feeling particularly like Lyle was kind of sharing, like disqualified, struggling, receive prayer today. Um, there's, there's people to my left, to your right. But we've all been there, all been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? Um, if you need prayer for anything else, please receive prayer. But we hold in our hands a tradition that has been passed down for thousands of years. And Paul himself tell, told the Corinthian church that Nick just talked about this morning this. He said, I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you. On the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus, the Lord Jesus took bread, took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And we do this now in remembrance of him. He did the same thing with the cup. After he had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this to remember me. Lord, we remember you. We eat and we drink this cup and we proclaim your death. We proclaim your death until you come. We also recognize that we are already inheritors of the resurrection life that is within us. We thank you for the gathered body, your church. We thank you for the opportunity to worship and to sit and listen to your word, for engaging with your Holy Spirit. We, we thank you for the opportunity to receive prayer and to give prayer. Father, I pray a blessing on my brothers and sisters that are here. I ask that your spirit would hover up over them and dwell with them. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would go into this week and be cities set on a hill. Uh, they would be reminded who they are. As we start gospel identities, Lord, would you ground us in who we are? That we are yours. That you would help us to remember those things, recall those things that, that make us who we are. That we would remember who you have made us to be. We would remember you. Thank you, God. We love you, and the church said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.